Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds from the Bodlow Racing Team. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert from 4 Pepsi Max Crew, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It is, look, it's a great, it's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulk, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but, but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not. Dickhead, you could say it's just it's, they're just there's good racing and I enjoy it. Mm. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. Hello and welcome to the program. This week, the man who has been able to take the catchphrase of or the um, the moniker of Richard Crail as the busiest man in motorsport, the voice of V8 Supercars, Chad Nalen, joins us. Good evening, Chad. <laughs> Good evening, and uh, might I mention that I'm still one of Crowley's biggest fans. Yes, well, it's hard to knock Crowley off uh, that any sort of pedestal, but you've uh, <laughs> you've done the job. Uh, Gary O'Brien, the national editor, or the editor of the Nationals? No, it's statewide. Sorry, statewide editor of Auto Action. Good evening. <laughs> Good evening, Craig. Good evening, Chad. We'll get it right eventually. One day I'll get it right. <laughs> Gen two specs are due this week, Gary. Uh, well, in fact, they're due. By the 30th of June, this show goes to air on Wednesday. So, have you seen them yet? No, I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) I'm assuming it's just going to be open to a few different body styles and a few engine options. That's the way I read it. It's important, though, that they get out as soon as possible because, Chad, teams have to be able to develop these packages. It's It's fair to say that most of the... Most of the teams can run into 2017 with what they've got in 2016. This is all about getting the new manufacturers in. Yeah, and I imagine that's why this is uh, taking so long to get these regs right and to get it out there into the ether is simply because they're trying to please so many different people, so many different companies. So, I mean, at the end of the day, we'd rather they take their time with it instead of rush it. Um, I think maybe... uh, they would have loved to have another chance of doing some of the car of the future stuff again with those regs as well. So they're, they're trying to please a lot of people. Um, I imagine trying to limit costs as much as I can as well. And um, we'll see it in due time. So, I mean, 2017 is a long way off yet. There'll be plenty of time to, to develop these cars. It's not made any easier, Gary, when you've got uh, teams, manufacturers out there just uh, throwing things out left, right and centre. We want to go hybrid. And then all of a sudden, V8 supercars have to go, oh, my God, what are we going to do about that? Yeah, Pandora's box, I think, <laughs> going down that path at this stage. Uh, uh, OK, yeah, fair enough. Uh, technology for uh, in other avenues of the sport and in road users is starting to go that way. But uh, I think we've jumped ahead of ourselves a little bit if we want to go hybrid at this stage. Mm. And certainly uh, there is a bit of mischief on out in the pit lane. There's always a bit of fun where people just want to uh, put someone under stress for a couple of days, Chad. Yeah, well, we'll see how it all uh, winds out in the end, I guess. But as for the hybrid thing, it could possibly have a home within VO2 because I see hybrid as being really high-tech these days, which is funny considering it's been around in a Toyota Prius for you know, eight years now. But um, I, I kind of like it being a, a Formula One or a World Endurance Championship thing. And, you know, if, if, okay, if someone like a Lexus or whatever want to come and run hybrid cars within V2 cars, cool, but it just seems a bit odd to have it. And I'm, I'm open to pretty much anything, but to have that running around in V8s in 2017 might be a little bit out there. 
Gary, it seems like even Formula One's not happy with hybrid. Well, they're talking about uh, a change back to V8s. There are all sorts of things going on there. And let's face it, um, there's not too many people going around saying how popular it is at the moment. Which is funny because, Chad, the World Endurance Series is just going from strength to strength and it's built around all these new technologies. And really, instead of Formula One being the cutting edge of uh, motorsport technology, you have to say the Endurance Championship has taken that mantle. Yeah, and it's, it's led by the manufacturers, you know, and it's led by their want to have things that are relevant to, to road racing. And that goes back to when they started to run, you know, diesel sports cars and everything, everything like that. It was always trying to appease what the manufacturers wanted to put on the European highways. So good on them for, uh, for taking that. Um, the rule makers at Le Mans have been very, uh, very on the front foot with that. Um, whether or not we can make that work within our own series, well, we'll have to have to wait and see, especially considering one of those guidelines that James Orbiton highlighted was that it has to have, have that DNA of a V8 still, that, that loud sound. So whether or not they can have all those things rolled into one will be uh, the big test. Mm. One of the little-known facts in motorsport is uh, the first diesel race car, I believe, was at the Indianapolis 500 in the, about the 40s, Gary. So... Uh, it's it's not as if some of this technology hasn't been around for uh, ever in a day. Oh, no, production cars, even in Australia, we've ran diesels in the past as well. So, you know, it, it is open to that. And I think diesel um, technology has got its place. But, uh, again, I, I go with Chad in saying that um, it's got to be noisy. It's got to have some sort of relevance to the people that go and watch it. Mm. Well, we've got off to a quick start here on Inside Supercars. We'll take a break and be back with plenty more. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bort Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we're able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to up, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars, where Gary O'Brien and Chad Nalen join me, Craig Ravel, and we were talking about the Gen 2 specifications, which uh, were due out at June 30, um, although that was a loose date, I must say. Uh, we were told June, so uh, that could have meant that they got released any time in June, but since we've passed that June 30 deadline, perhaps uh, it's more like July. The, I, although, to that said, they are doing a lot of consultation, I believe. Vert Supercars are taking over the Utes category management, Gary, and this is going to be quite a significant change, although they're going to employ all the guys who run the Utes now to continue on. That's yeah, a good I'm, thing. I'm just wondering if it's a, more of a, a partnership rather than taking it over. Um, I can't imagine Spirits would just uh, let it go and just be employed. No, and... well, yeah, that's exactly what's happening, though. Okay. The board ownership is uh, still going to remain the same, but the licence to race utes is held by V8 Supercars now, not by uh, V8, what is it, V8 U Racing, um, the current body that Spherix is obviously on the board with. Oh, OK. I'll stand corrected. <laughs> so, but that, uh, that did mean that uh, V8 Supercars technical management 
is responsible for the new generation of Ute, which when you remember, the new generation of Ute was announced well before the, um, before the Gen 2 idea even came to life. Actually, um, it was um, originally announced Eclipse all last year, if memory serves me right, so that takes it back a fair bit that they were going to go to the SUV type or style of twin um, uh, cabs, two-door, um, on a common chassis. So I don't know where that's right at the moment. I know they were talking about at one stage um, bringing in new vehicles on a, on a when-they're-ready basis and running them with the current spec utes for a little while at least, probably through next year, I would imagine, before going to a full new chassis in 2017. But the problem is, Chad, you don't have a new spec to make your new spec utes to yet. Yeah, they. Uh, well, this is much more of a, a tight deadline, is it, than what we've got going on with our supercars? And it seems like the goalpost has moved a little bit, Derek. And the, you know, I guess what some racers wanted to start getting cracking on, um, obviously got delayed a fair bit. But hopefully, whatever they come up with, uh, is still maintains that that level of entertainment and. The reason, obviously, why they're having to go through this change of regs is, one, the same reason that V8 supercars are doing it with the changing landscape with Holden and Ford, but also this move away that we've got now in, in Australian psyche where, you know, the Ute was Australia's sports car for a while with, you know, the Malu and stuff like that. But these days, it's changed more towards being a Hilux or a Mazda BT50. These are the kind of cars that tradies drive and you see them with nice wheels. And so that's a bit more now the landscape for what a ute driver would, would actually like to own. So they're trying to reflect that as well. Um, I can't see any way around it where they're not going to have these guys out on the track with uh, the current youth that are racing now. So it might be a, a, that transition period, which Gary mentioned, will be there. And unfortunately, it might look a bit awkward at first. There might be different classes, maybe. But um, as long as they get it right, same with our supercars, it, it should work in the long run. And hopefully they manage to do so, keeping those costs down as well. Yeah, and of course, uh, uh, Chad, the the thing is, there will be no utes once production in Australia is finished, because that's where the utes are made. That's well, a sad, sad fact, isn't it? So, mm. I guess that term ute kind of changes now to be um, you know, whatever this dual cab or extra cab idea will be, and are all lie in the hands of uh, mainly Japanese car builders, I guess. Yes, well, I think the Colorado's made in Malaysia, isn't it? And uh, I don't know whether Ranger or the uh, or the Navara are made, but uh, I'm sure they're going to be cars that will be oh, Utes that will be keenly looked for on the grid. And once again, it does broaden the base, Gary. To every manufacturer in the country, pretty much has a a utility vehicle. Well, yeah, and when you think about when, when the idea was first muted that. Um, the idea of having Mazda, Toyota, Holden, Ford, um, and several other manufacturers. Yeah, it was great. It's a good idea, and uh, they're all got that type of ute. Um, running gear would be all the same underneath. Um, engines would probably be the only sticky point. Uh, obviously, some some manufacturers only got five liter engines. Some have got six liter engines. That uh, there will be the same parity problem that they currently have. But it's something that they've made work, so I assume that they can do it again. Mm. Now, we are changing our attention back to the V8 Supercar Series. We're now on the 26-car mantra. It'll be good to see another car on the grid, particularly, Chad, because we're seeing that grid, it gets narrower and narrower. Everyone talks about, oh, it's less than a second when you're qualifying. But when it comes to the race, it's the teams that are 
able to uh, structure their data, structure their cars around the length of the race, the length of the tyre runs, that other up the front. And although on a one-lap dash, most of the cars are about the same speed, it's the longevity of keeping the cars fast which separates the front from the back teams. Yeah, I mean, I've never worried so much about what the grid size is. Um, 25 cars is uh, is fairly healthy as far as I'm concerned. I mean, growing up in Perth, I remember a couple of races at Barbagello where there were you know, less than 20 cars on the grid. So I definitely, um, I'm definitely not too concerned where it is now. 26 next year would be cool. I think, what was it, 28? I think I've read somewhere was the, uh, the preferred number by V8 supercars one day. But um, that might throw their uh, international plans for Malaysia into uh, disarray because I think 26 cars, they've planned to all their Asia expansion around being able to take 26 cars on planes and cargo ships and all that sort of stuff. So, um you know, and the same goes for Bathurst as well. Everyone last year complained that it was the smallest grid we've seen, blah, 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 and then it ended up being the best race we've ever seen. So, mate, coming from a drag racing background, I can tell you only need two cars to put on a good race. And uh, at the moment, um, I'm loving the racing that we've got, particularly on Sundays, although Hidden Valley Saturday was a, was a wicked show with 25 cars. And when it goes to 26 cars next year, I imagine we won't even really notice a difference. I'm wondering, because we are going to a hard 26 where do we where do we look for teams like Super Black Racing and other teams that are out there that want to migrate in from say Dunlop Series up to the main game, Gary? As opposed to well, I'm, <laughs> I actually wrote a story a few uh, months ago now about what is supposedly the exodus, where uh, a lot of Dunlop teams are thinking to go to the Kumo Series because the uh, new generation car is going to hit the uh, Dunlop series, I think it's next year. Yeah, I, I believe next year that the current BE and FGs can race in the V8 Touring Car Series. Um, it's a big step for a Dunlop series team to move to a car of the future, a chassis, uh, different size wheels to start with. You know, so you've got that to, to, to fight against as well. Um, the, the idea of the, the 26 cars in the main game too, just harken back to that for a sec, um, if you go too many more, you're going to have the situation that they had several years ago where we, we might have, say, 34 cars on the grid and then go to New Zealand and only 32 can go. So two drop out and all of a sudden, if you have a bad start this season, you might miss out on a round just through um, having a bad result somewhere. So you've got to keep that in mind as well. But as you said, um, yeah, it's a it's a mixture next year. It's... Um, you know, there were some people saying that this year's development series has been probably as good as racing the main game, and now you're going to throw in Car of the Future, which is a different spec. That's going to make it quite interesting. Mm. And, uh, Chad, you call all those events for Foxtel. How do you see this year's racing in the Dunlop series? Because there is no doubt that uh, a lot of the teams are talking about the fact that with the new generation car coming in, there is going to be a uh, quantum shift. And I know some of them are even concerned about the parity that will be applied and whether they'll get in the older car a fair crack at it, even even though the, <laughs> the older car is traditionally faster uh, than the new car. Yeah, I know the, um, the Kiwis have a pretty good way of keeping parity across... Um, when it was the NZV8s, obviously they're having a bit of a shift at the moment of what they do over there. But that was just a matter of plugging in a laptop and playing with, um, I think, 
power curves and essentially how much throttle a car can use, all that sort of stuff to, to limit them. So there'll be ways of keeping it simple if you want to have different spec cars racing each other. Um, it doesn't seem to be a great rush to go and get these uh, current model cars at the moment, so it'll be interesting to see how many actually end up on the grid in the Dunlop series because at the end of the day, there aren't that many really floating around within the V8 teams at the moment. So, I mean, I can't see too many teams jumping at them um, and the biggest problem will be cost on top of that already because I've spoken to one or two high-profile Dunlop series if you can say that there's a high-profile <laughs> Dunlop series team boss but um, and they are all pretty gun-shy at forking out that kind of money at the moment so uh, I think it'll it'll survive one way or another it's got very typical blessing it's still very much the feeder category um, and the, the beauty will be uh, if you want to be looked at as an enduro, endurance driver and you can say that you're competing in the Dunlop series in a current spec car, I can see someone like a Shay Davies, for example, really benefiting f- from that. I mean, this is all about Shay trying to get a drive in the enduros for this year, missed out. Next year, if he can hop into a current generation car and get on uh, on the track in the Dunlop series, that'll you know definitely improve his chances at lining up at Bathurst. So. Um, that might be a bit of a carrot in front of the nose sort of thing, and um, hopefully that inspires a few of these teams to uh, to find the, the money to go and do this. But at the other end of the scale, you've got guys like Todd Hazelwood who can't afford to go racing in the car that he's got at the moment and having fundraisers to try and do so. So I can't see um, where they're going to go finding all this money to go getting a, a current spec car. So multifaceted issue, that one. It is indeed. And, uh, Gary, the lure of if you buy your car now, you get a free entry into the 1,000 in October hasn't also... Well, again, it's back down to cost, isn't it? And um, history tells us that if you, when you start introducing new models into a current series, you tend to um, limit the uh, performance of the, the regular cars to allow the new cars... Uh, a better advantage, let's say, for lack of another way of putting it, so that it encourages other teams to then go and buy new cars, uh, not only in V8s, but in you, you name any category where there's been a model progression, that always seems to be the case. So uh, they could force their hand by doing that. Yeah, and that's what a lot of teams are concerned about. So there's talk, as I said at the beginning, that there could be an exodus to the Kumo Series, which is the third level of V8 racing in Australia, which runs at the Nationals, which I know, Gary, you're a regular uh, yeah. aficionado of. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, been, uh, it's taken an upturn. The last round at Winton had really good numbers, and um, uh, I think next round's at uh, Queensland Raceway in early August. I'm, sure, I'm assuming that there's, that number of progression will still exist, and there's even talk about allowing a sub-series of, or subclass of um, older cars into that round as well. So we could get mega feel. Mm. And, of course, you do know that it's uh, in August because it's the week after the V8s when you have your annual summer or winter holiday out of Sydney to enjoy <laughs> the Queensland sun. And uh, do you normally take in Lakeside Historics the week yes, before that yeah, as well? Yeah, yeah, Lakeside Classic it's called. Three, yeah, week, it's three weeks in the sun. Oh, I wonder when that's on, middle of winter. <laughs> Uh, just ahead of the break though guys uh, get your thoughts night racing we had a discussion about it last week on the show and and whilst everyone thinks night racing would be fantastic they're sort of saying not Darwin that's the place that's got everything going for it uh, particularly the nightlife Jed <laughs> what, what do you think uh, Darwin should be a night race anywhere else it should be a night race 
Um, I remember Auto Action reporting a few months back about this plan to have um, a Sydney Motorsport Park night under lights on the, you know, maybe even on the short track and have some maybe different formats for the night, all that sort of stuff. Um, certainly got the, the hairs on the back of my neck standing up with excitement because uh, I, I absolutely love Speedway and I think that'd be a really cool way to, to see V8 supercars having this, you know, different format. So hopefully um, if we do go back to night racing, somewhere along the line, we might also be able to step out into a, a different format. And I know we don't want to go confusing it too much more than what we've got already with super sprints, super streets and enduros and whatnot. But that'd be one thing to think about. If it's Darwin, sweet, cool. I mean, yeah, you know, the, the Darwin nightlife is excellent, absolutely. But the same token, sitting around in the sunshine during the day is also excellent. So it might open up a few more hours earlier in the day. It will no doubt come back down to um, how it operates with, uh, you know, TV schedules and what's going to be on. But a really cool way of doing it, I reckon, would be to try and get some midweek racing going at Sydney at some point throughout the year under lights, um, you know, you'd have an absolute field day in terms of TV coverage on a Wednesday night or something like that because you're not going to be going up against a whole lot in terms of local sports. So I think that would be uh, very, very attractive. But it doesn't matter where it happens. I just want to see a night race come back somewhere along the line. The twilight racing that we've dabbled with has been cool, but um, I've got pretty fond memories of watching those Calder Park night races when I was a kid on telly, and I'd love to see a bit more of that now. Well, Gary and I are old enough to remember going out to Oran Park and watching the NASCARs at Oran Park and at Eastern Creek under lights. And uh, I've got to say, the uh, the night races at Oran Park, for the th- I think they only did it once, but that was some of the best racing in the Ozcars. Uh, Stephen Richards and I think it was John Faulkner back in those days were just hammering it around the short track there. They certainly were, and uh, the NASCARs put on a good show. I think the trucks were on that meeting as well. And um, but uh, Oran Park have had night racing going back to the, the late 60s and uh, even after those uh, major events, uh, the New South Wales Road Racing Club went back there and held two meetings a year for a number of years until the venue closed and everyone seems to, to like the night racing because you tend to even at club level get a little more for more people rolling up to, to have a look at night racing, particularly as yes, the sun's setting, they all seem to roll in so you've had your day doing whatever you had to do and nighttime come out, watch a bit of car racing, mm. and nothing better than under lights where you've got those glowing <laughs> brakes and all sorts of things happening and sparks and what's not flying around the place. Interesting story, many years ago, I remember one car getting black flag um, in an event at nighttime for not having their headlights on. And he said, well, I didn't see the black flag because I didn't have my lights on. <laughs> yeah, the black flag on the black background didn't uh, yeah. stand out enough. <laughs> and, uh, Chad, too bad they've just opened it up to 26 cars because could you imagine a, a, a Wednesday night race meeting at Eastern Creek, five heat races of five cars with the winner and second place transferring into a feature? Uh, wouldn't that be nice? That's right. You could get really speedway and say that the 26 car in qualifying misses the inversion. That's <laughs> to start off the back. So there's definitely ways you'd be able to do it. Um, and uh, I, I really like that idea of not just night racing, but having some heats and building up to one big final race for the uh, for the whole weekend is a really or week night might be a really cool way of doing it. Mm. Well, we need to take a break here on Inside Supercars. Plenty more when we return. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panelists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media, or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. 
Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian Times since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at the Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars, where Chad Nalan and Gary O'Brien joining me, Craig Ravel. Six-month report card for, well, let's start with the teams first, Gary. Who gets a pass mark? Who's got a fail? Well, an A-plus for Performance Racing Australia, you'd have to say. But certainly since their... Um, uh, You're talking about Pro Drive? Yep. Okay. You said performance racing. Oh, did you? Sorry. <laughs> well, a bit of a performance. mix of names. <laughs> <laughs> They're certainly the performers at the moment, uh, particularly on their hard tyre. They, uh, they seem to be the gun team at the moment, and I think even when you when Davy Reynolds, and I don't mean this disparagingly, but uh, his performance at the, in the third race in the, on the hard tyre uh, was pretty uh, pretty awesome stuff up at Darwin just the other week. You, you got uh, anyone with a fail? Uh, probably uh, Red Bull, uh, 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 sort of in a funny situation. Jamie Wincup's not getting the results, but Craig Lowndes got his 100th uh, race victory, so a bit of a mix, mixed one for them. I find uh, it hard to give a fail to a team that's winning races. No, no, no. Indeed, <laughs> yeah, but, um, well, but when they're uh, they're super, when they're well, the the, the pre pre championship favourite hasn't. Um, Hasn't really um, had a good uh, last couple of outings. You've got to start to wonder. Um, definitely a fail to uh, Gary Rogers Motorsport at the moment. They're having a shocker, but that could turn around as quick as anything else. Um, a plus for Nissan, of course. They're, uh, their sex stocks have gone right up. But um, AMG, I'm not so sure about. They, one week they're good, one week they're not so good. Mm. So they're, they're a difficult one. And BJR, similar situation. Uh, Fabian Coulthard's obviously doing some wonderful things, but uh, Jason Bright's uh, season hasn't been all that flash at the moment. Mm. Yeah, Jason Bright heading towards, I think, 500 starts in V8 supercars, although sometimes the numbers just baffle me. Um, It's changed too many times, and then uh, we don't have rounds anymore, but then I read another quote from Chaz Mostert who said Darwin was his best round of the season. Chad, (laughs) passing fails from you for the first half of the year. Well, it's definitely an A-plus for the FGX. Uh, I think that is uh, an incredible race car. I mean, we saw Heimgartner put his hands on it in Tasmania and do a great job. That just proved to me what a great little rocket ship that thing is. Um, destroyed everyone at Albert Park. Uh, it was a matter of time before Reynolds ended up winning a race and won. He was just knocking on the door of it happening. I think he would have been top 10 at every single race in the FGX, apart from Bright spinning him out on the Saturday race and then also Lowndes sending him around in Tasmania. So... He's on an absolute charge right now, Reynolds, and I think he's going to get stronger and stronger. This win, I get the feeling, might just be the tip of the iceberg for him to get his ball really rolling and um, to inspire a driver for good results, like having someone like Cameron Waters waiting in the wings, just ready to take his seat off him. So big, um, big pass, David Reynolds, for mine and to the FGX. Um, obviously, Chaz's great form. Uh, another three podiums from three starts on the weekend. Uh, the consecutive pole positions that they took in Perth and Winton. So I reckon uh, it's a, a big pass for Chaz, and he'll only learn from the mistake that he made at Winton to get better. And obviously Frosty's knocking on the door of that championship, which Pro Drive have been working towards forever. So pretty obvious to go marking them as a uh, as a pass. 
Um, sounds horribly harsh, but you have to say that it's a bit of a, a fail for the Ambrose comeback at the moment. Hopefully, uh, we see brighter days when the Enduros roll around. We we get to see Marcus in the car again. Um, good to see that Scott Pye's had good results in the last two. Uh, James Courtney started the year really strong, you know, won Clipsal and then had a couple of absolute brain farts, unfortunately, since then, Winton being the really bad one, where at least what happened in the restart at Hidden Valley was just a just a genuine mistake. He didn't know that Shane Van Gisbergen was there. Um, the Giz is probably another interesting one. I wouldn't say pass or fail for him, but more a bit of a, um, I wouldn't say an A-plus or an F for him. I'd say it's kind of a, a bit of a middle, kind of a middle mark, the kind of grades that saw me get through high school and uni somehow <laughs> for, uh, for Shane Van Gisbergen. <laughs> so, um, Obviously, little improvements here and there, but um, I mean, no one deserves the accolades like Pro Drive at the moment, and uh, no one deserves to um, have the spotlight on them as much as Volvo do at the moment. So, those are the two polarising opposites, I'd say. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, as I said to Gary, I don't like to give a negative mark to uh, a team that's won races. And so, you win Clipsal, you get about a plus 10. You take your teammate out of Winton, that's a minus 100. Take him out again at Darwin. You had that minus 100, Winton to the minus 100 at Darwin, and you are starting to see your marks uh, below the pass uh, pass level, isn't it? (laughs) We do need to take another break here on Inside Supercars, but plenty more when we return. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bort Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck. For Daniel Ricardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas, there actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Gary O'Brien, Chad Nail and me, Craig Ravel. And, uh, of course, I don't know whether it's a plus or minus for James Courtney when you got the win at Cripsal, the two taking off your teammates and then trying to blame the guy you hit for the reason you took out your teammate the second time. I don't know whether that you get plus marks for the uh, brazenness of trying to do it or whether that's a minus as well. Hey, <laughs> the great question for you. Do we need a super soft tyre, Chad? Yes, is <laughs> the easier answer to that one. Um, it's becoming increasingly uh, obvious I think that the soft tyre that we've got in the, in the series at the moment is more like a hard tyre. I mean, we keep going to these tracks and we all sit down, even in the commentary team we sit down and assess the different strategies that we're going to see. Um, I think we said in a, a strategy meeting in Darwin that 30 to 40 laps is what you'll get out of a set of soft tyres. You know, best case scenario. Granted, we didn't really have much data to go on with the new resurfacing. And then we get nearly double that out of uh, out of David Reynolds' tyres, and he quite comfortably held on for that whole race just by um, not letting him overheat. So I think uh, if the soft tyre was our hard tyre, that'd be cool. And then if we had a you know a really sticky, you know Melton style, you know 1989 Formula One qualifying <laughs> style tyre, where we can go and really lay down some quick times and see some aggressive racing in a 60k race, but then get that cliff, that'd be perfect. But 
you know, one thing that's probably worth remembering here is this um, this really isn't Dunlop's fault. They've just provided the tyre that they've been asked to provide. And the other thing is, you know, Darwin's probably not a really fair, um, I guess, uh, not a, a really good gauge to go talking about what tyres can and can't do because that surface is really, really good. Um, you know, a, a soft tyre there is not going to behave the same way that the soft tyres behaved at Barbagello. Even there at Barbagello, we saw the soft tyre last probably 10 to 20 laps longer than we thought it would because the safety car came out at a time which said that they'd have to. So, um, uh, personally, I think that yeah, it would be great to see, in, you know, long answer short, it would be a great answer to, or a great thing for the sport to see a, a really super soft tyre come in and then just make the soft tyre the hard tyre. Mm, all right, so Gary, I'm assuming you're going to say the same thing. So yep. then can I ask you, we've got the tyre tender coming up, we know that there's about four players in the market for the tyre tender, including the incumbent Dunlop. So do you think what's going to get a, a manufacturer over the line for tyres, the opportunity to do different things and to offer these super softs and offer these other products, which might help spice up the racing? It probably wouldn't hurt their chances. No doubt if someone comes up with a, a tyre similar compound to what Chad was talking about similar to what the soft is now, plus a softer soft, if you like that word. Um, <laughs> yes, it certainly would uh, It would be the way to go. It, it's interesting that um, in Saturday's second qualifier at uh, Hidden Valley, the soft on a soft tyre, they, they, the fastest time was actually a tenth, or almost a tenth of a second slower than the hardest, hard tyre qualifying on the Sunday. Mm. So they, actually the fastest... Qualifying time was set on a hard tyre. Yeah, that's a worry, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> but well, it also track, track has... conditions would have had a little bit to do with that. Uh, yeah, the I agree there. A yeah. lot, a lot cooler on Sunday. But it is a very good point. They're probably what it does show is there probably isn't enough of a uh, delineation. Uh, yeah, between and the two. and I think too that the, the, there was even before we went to to Darwin, there was there's a lot of people saying, well, the only difference between the two tyres now is the durability. And as Chad pointed out. We're getting such good mileage out of the soft tyre that, that even that equation sort of going out the window as well. Mm. I, I, I've been thinking about it and I've been uh, wondering if you could even say, and not that Bathurst needs much spice, but could you say if you had a really, really quick super soft that we you get one super soft throughout the course of the race and I, I just have this vision, the super soft would let you in 10 laps be a full lap quicker than someone who's running a hard. And so you could play all these different things where someone would go and try and gap the field, knowing that if they burnt their super sauce early and didn't get a lap on the field, at the end of the race, they're going to be a complete sitting duck for the 10-lap dash. The problem oh. is with Bathurst... Oh, sorry, Chad. The problem yeah. with Bathurst is it's not tyre-sensitive like the other places. And um, even when we had our tyre war going back to when we had Bridgestone, Dunlop and Yokohama in there, and most tracks you went to, the Bridgestone runners were always going to be quicker than anyone else and generally won the races, whether it be HRT or Seaton's team, whatever. But every time we went to Bathurst, it was an even playing field. So I don't know where you could find a a tyre soft enough to get a lap on the rest of the runners. Mm. And I'll tell you right now, if you give 26 drivers a set of soft tyres for Bathurst, all 26 drivers will save that for the last 10 laps. (laughs) No one will roll the dice. It'll all be about saving it at the end. Uh, it'd be an ambitious, and it'd be an ambitious dr- driver and team that would go out there and try it. But gee, 
wouldn't you give him some marks for balls? That'd be a pass <laughs> the, mark just for trying it. <laughs> the problem would be that, you know, any game you would have got, if you've got a game like you're talking about, safety cars would kill it. Not if you get a lap on the field, though. Well, you're not going to get a lap. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Brocky won it by nine. <laughs> yeah, six, I think it was. Uh, you know what, what, what might actually work for this tyre idea? Because it's impossible to get a set of... Well, to have a softer or a super softer or a hard that works at every track because the surface is very so much where we go. Maybe with these new tyre tender that comes in, something similar to what um, Pirelli does with Formula 1 might work quite well, where it depends on what track you go to is what tyres provided for the weekend. So, you know, Formula 1, one weekend it'll be super soft and the soft, and then the next weekend it'll be the medium and the hard, depending on what the track conditions are like and what they know is it's going to be like. So that might work really well. For us, if we can go to Darwin, we go, okay, there's almost no deg here. Let's throw a set of super softs at it on top of the soft tyre or whatever it might be. But um, maybe a, a rolling rule that, that goes across the year, depending on what track surface we go to, might work really well. i tell you what, uh, the tyre manufacturer that gets the gig would be wanting to say, you tell us what you're going to do at the beginning of the year and don't come back to us later because we're going to have the tyres built. And uh, Because all too often you have seen Dunlop having to make mercy dashes to the factory to get new tyres built over the course of this contract. That's a fair point. And they end up looking like the bad guys. Exactly, know, and, yeah. You know, there's only so much they can do. Everyone says, oh, we want soft tyres. It's like, well, it's not as easy as just we just roll them out of a shed. Mm. You know, they've got to get these things made in Japan. Yep. Look, it was so many topics to talk about, but we're not going to get through them all today because we need to take a break and then a final thought on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels through the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Bottolo Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. It's Chad Nalen, and a final thought, or even an observation. Uh, my uh, final thought thought will be a final four, because I'm absolutely chomping at the bit for Formula 4 in Townsville. It's um, going to be something different, going to be something cool. Um, the entries will be slow and steady to start off with. I think we're looking at probably 12 cars of by the sounds of it, for Townsville. But um, don't go panicking just yet because it's a, it's a solid series. It's not only got the, the blessing of cams, but it's got the promotion of cams. Um, there are good people involved with it, like Cameron McConville. There are good teams involved, like AGI and uh, also BRM. So it, it's got legs. It will be successful. It just needs a little bit of time to get there. Um, but, geez, what a tough initiation it's going to be. Uh, a street circuit like Townsville, and unfortunately there's a few street circuits lined up for Formula 4 next year, so maybe next year we don't send so many street circuits would probably be the thing, so you know, obviously they're going to be expensive to fix when 16 or 17 year old drivers make mistakes, which they will, um, but I'll tell you what, it's going to be very cool to watch these kids go, uh, go at it around the streets of Townsville. Now here's a question, are you going to be commentating it or are you going to be driving in it? <laughs> well, uh, I, 
I don't particularly want to get embarrassed by a 15 year old on live TV, so I think I might compensate. Go, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brian. Um, yeah, my thought again into Townsville, HRT to bounce back and do a um, or try and get a replication of their one two result from last year. Mm. Well, that's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.